What would happen if you grew up with a real sense of lack in your life? Um, what would you move toward? Or what would happen if you grew up with lots of love, a beautiful home, a good experiences, but you actually perceived a lack of love, or you didn't have enough love, or there's this emptiness inside you. Though you were given a lot, you still had something that was empty inside you. What would be formed inside you? And I would say uh, one thing that we probably would not pursue if this was our experience, either really having a lack or perceiving that we've had a lack, I would say we probably will never, ever pursue or embrace weakness. We're not going there, right? Um, Admitting weakness is actually the key to all growth. Um, You will never, ever learn, um, like say Joel plays the the cello. Well, to start off learning how to play the the cello, you have to admit, I don't know how to play it. Not many people pursue or uh, make progress in a difficult instrument when they start off, oh, I know how to play this. There was a young uh, girl, a three-year-old girl. Um, Amaris was about seven or eight at the time. Our neighbor's last name is Farr, F-A-R-R. And Caitlin Farr, visiting uh, from Georgia, she was their granddaughter. And Caitlin Farr came over all by herself at three years old and knocked on our door. And I opened the door. I was one of these, look, who's here? And then, oh, oh, hello. And she says, I'm Caitlin Farr, F-A-R-R. <laughs> and she says, I understand there are some girl, there's some girls here, and, and I'd like to know if they'd like to come out and play. <laughs> and Amaris was behind the door, and I said, Amaris, looks like Caitlin Farr wants to play with you. And Amaris went out and started playing with Caitlin Farr. Caitlin is a, young, a wonderful young girl, 17 years probably, or 16 years old, or something like that now. But she, um, she is a, uh, a little kid out in our cul-de-sac, and Amaris is on her bicycle. And Caitlin looks at the bike. We don't have another bike for her. But she looks at the bike, and I'm out there, and she says, I can ride a bike. And I said, okay. Well, do you want, Maris, we'll get off. You want to try? And she, and she just kind of folded her arms and stood there. And then we later on went swimming, and Grandma came over, and our neighbor lets us use their pool. So we're swimming, and Maris is swimming all over the pool and just having a good time, and Caitlin's on the step. In her. And I said, Caitlin, I've taught Maris how to swim. I said, I will teach you how to swim, and I know how to swim. I said, well, come on in. And so she got down on one more step. And she looked out of the pool. She assured me once again that I know how to swim. I said, well, that's so great, Caitlin. That's so great. So Amaris and I spent time swimming watching Caitlin stand on the step. And uh, it's true, isn't it, that you, you really can't make any progress with anything unless you admit that you are weak. Um, education, for instance, starts with saying, I don't know. Well, let me tell you about the Corinthians. There were a lot of Caitlin Fars in, in Corinth. 
The Corinthians were very impressed with Greek culture. They were Christians. But uh, Corinth is quite a remarkable city even to this day. Uh, A lot of temples to Apollo and various Greek gods still there. Um, Greek culture was quite advanced, and the one thing the Greeks loved was oratory, speaking, rhetorical skills, all those kinds of things. And if you're going to lead the Greeks, you better be a good leader, and you better be impressive. And they grew tired of the church planter, Paul the Apostle, and they found other apostles. Paul calls them false apostles. Uh, and he also calls them super apostles. And in Second Corinthians, he's quite facetious, and um, he's using various rhetorical devices to get their attention. They loved boasting and listening to people who could boast. They loved people who presented themselves as powerful. And Paul has been there and done that, and he knows there's nothing in it. Evangelicals have historically fallen to the temptation to power. 1976, Jimmy Carter, an evangelical Christian, cover of Time magazine, may have been Newsweek, and it said, with his face on it, it said, the year of the evangelical. And many, many people were thinking that this moment in American history was going to usher in the kingdom of God because finally we had political power. Now, the Corinthians wanted power, but they did not want true spiritual power, and Paul is doing what he can to get their attention. And he's trying to expose them as, well, you're all just, you're all just one frightened family. Let me help you. And the goal of this series is actually to figure out how we can authentically, in a real way, say, you know what, I'm just a frightened kid. Standing on the step of a pool, boasting in my power when I don't really have any at all. So we're trying to figure out how to be authentic. And it can't happen in just one sermon. It can't happen in just one season of life. And that's why we've been given time, because God is patient with us, that we would discover how truly weak we are and not become and not be ashamed about that. So if my outline helps, um, and I'm thinking of so many, many ideas in this text, and I'm thinking, well, if this helps, this will be good. Uh, Weakness pursued, first idea, will give you a wonderful opportunity. It will give other people a wonderful opportunity. Weakness pursued, and we're going to look at kind of verses 1 through 6 rather briefly. And then weakness pursued, you will tap into real spiritual power if you keep, keep at it. And then weakness pursued you will gladly withstand great uh, difficulties. Okay, 1 through 4 can be very confusing. uh, 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 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 4. What what Paul is doing is he's saying, you know, I could really bank on my spiritual experiences as an apostle to convince you to listen to me. And he talks about his, his extraordinary experience of actually going into heaven itself while being on this earth. And it happened during this 14-year period of time when he was in Arabia, what he describes as Arabia. And uh, so he did not get up and going as the apostle we know him for uh, the better part of a decade and a half uh, later. 
during that time, God was preparing him for an incredible life out among the non-Jews, and God gave him an experience, and that was a vision where he was transported into heaven itself. And uh, all that he can say about it is, I can't say much about it, which is not all that helpful, uh, but uh, he is talking a bit about this to the Corinthians to let them know that he could press this upon them. After all, that's pretty good on your spiritual resume. Uh, By the way, I've been to heaven. Wow, okay. Let's have him as our conference speaker. Uh, So... Uh, and so he, he, he's sort of playing with the idea of boasting. He's kind of moving all over. You can read back in uh, Ephesians, I keep saying Ephesians, 2 Corinthians 12. You can read uh, about his boasting uh, in a very strange way about all that he had gone through, all the difficulties, and he's boasting in that way. Uh, but he's f- ultimately um, saying in this passage, uh, look at the end of verse 4, um, he says, and he, he, referring to himself, heard things that he cannot, that cannot be told, which may not be, which, which man may not utter. It's beyond words. Verse five. On behalf of this man, so he's speaking to the third person here. I will boast. In other words, I will boast. But on be, but on my behalf, it's as if he has a split personality here. But on my behalf, I will not boast. In other words, the human being I am, as I live my life out. Uh, nope, I'm not boasting there, except of my, notice this, you could circle that, of my weaknesses. And then here's the point. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So I want to be just the real deal before you, and it's going to look like weakness. It's not going to impress you, and I want you to know how comfortable I am in not impressing you. (laughs) I want you to know I'm just at peace with this whole thing. So um, so he, um, he basically is arguing in this passage, I don't have a well managed life. And I'm not even trying to manage it. Um, let me give you sort of my, my chronological background, the kinds of things that are involved in being an apostle. And this is chapter 11. What includes being an apostle is being beaten, shipwrecked, flogged, um, humiliations, uh, spending a night and a day adrift at sea, danger, Uh, from Jews, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger from false brothers. What it means to be an apostle, it means you are in trouble everywhere you go. And if it's not enough from people, it happens from nature. It happens from, from every angle, I am oppressed. Now, what I want to do is I want to get your attention, Corinthians. I want you to know that I'm okay with this. I'm okay with it. I'm not afraid of this life actually destroying me and ripping away everything comfortable in my life. It's amazing. So as I began to read about this passage and dwell on it and read books and connecting points with other people and, and 
people throughout history, this is a major point of spiritual understanding. He is, he is developing the cry of the heart of the powerless. And uh, he actually, it's not that he just got cornered into this situation and now he just cries out because he's stuck. He's actually saying it's okay to pursue this. And, uh, and so what creeps up on you as you study this passage and as you dwell on it and meditate on it, what creeps on you, up, up on you is this, is, huh, he's talking about being powerless, but he's actually very powerful. He's talking about, it's like he's, he's just a victim of circumstances, but actually he's not enslaved to anything. And it's, there's a sort of a spiritual understanding of life that is so rich and so beautiful and liberating. And as Christians, we have to work at this. We've got to work at this. And uh, it's going to be okay if we all work at it. It's going to be okay. And uh, if I haven't summarized this thought enough, let me just keep going. My life is no longer a life of crying out for things to be fixed. And even... Uh, and even wishing that you would see in me someone whom God is blessing by giving a smooth life. I don't even need that. Uh, haven't you heard that sort of in kind of testimonies and, and evangelical gatherings? Kind of like, look what God did with that guy. He made him strong. He became a football player. And now he's uh, uh, in the Super Bowl. See what strength does? You see what uh, discipline does and uh, obedience. I mean, in other words, we put forth power, not weakness. And I remember, <laughs> I remember in chapel in college, we were, we were working on something and trying to figure out who could pray in public. You know, I mean, who's a good prayer, you know? We don't want to put some klutz up there. You're in front of chapel. I mean, it's a big deal. And then we all just started laughing. It's like, why is this a concern of ours? You do it. Whatever. It doesn't matter. So so it's like, um, actually, you know, it would be like, who's been the last, who's recently boasted on how bad they pray? You do it. If you're after something else, you are after something else. If you want to glorify the cross, you have to be after something else. And you have to go a different direction. So you could, I mean, you could even argue that it's not even particularly Christian to think that way. Vegas can think that way. Put that guy up on the mic who can, you know, in other words, you put someone who's good at something. Strong, unable, accomplished. That's not, that's not necessarily even a Christian thought. But the Corinthians were quite amazed at the idea of boasting and boasting in the flesh. They were okay with it. They were okay with it. So Paul's basically saying, I want you to just look at me and hear me and whatever impression comes across let me tell you something. I'm trying to be authentically weak before you, and I hope you trust God 
for other things. Don't let your wisdom and your, your hope rest upon how well I can manage my life. So uh, if it seems unimpressive, weak, and seems like a life where I'm just crying out, man, I'm powerless, you got it. You got it. And if you get that, I'll be glad for you. Now that is really counter-cultural, counter-intuitive. But it is, you see, Paul wants the Corinthians to be grasping the, the true nature of spiritual power. That no one would think more of me. That no one would think more of me. That's where he lived. No one would think more of me. So, Paul's life looked like a shipwreck and not like the life of a specially called person of God, like you would imagine it. Paul's life looked like he had been abandoned by the Father, but it wasn't. Paul's life looked like he was the scum of the earth, but of course he was the beloved of God. Uh, He's still a professor at USC. Dallas Willard uh, made a comment in an article I read recently. And he talked about the pressure on schools to um, always look successful. And uh, the bumper stickers, like my child became this academic genius or whatever. And uh, so he said, you know, my child became a success, the bumper sticker, my child became a success at Success Academy, Academy, right? So that's the bumper sticker. And he said, you you really don't find bumper stickers that say, my child learned humility today at school. That's not, we don't produce those kind of bumper stickers. Um, let me ask you, what, is, um, the, what are you pursuing with your life a bit? Let me ask you, just uh, by way of, what do you want to give by way of an impression to people? The words you use, how you present things, present yourself. Even a well-accomplished person and I think there are many, many of you here today. Uh, a well-accomplished person, well-educated person, what do you... Are you really going to buy into this today? Really pursue weakness? Or are you just being polite? Buy in this? Do you know that one of the most significant pace-setters of the New Testament was crying out a cry of powerlessness? And working at it. Caitlin Farr, imagine she becomes an Olympic gold medal swimmer. How about that? And she's interviewed ESPN afterwards. And they're so impressed. I wonder if she would just reflect and say, well, you know what? You know what I really am. You know who I really am. I'm just this frightened three-year-old girl who wouldn't get off the step. Who am I really? And are you okay with that? We, I, in seminary, we, we actually learn how to preach. We have practice in uh, seminary how to preach. Some of you are quite surprised to learn that. I didn't know you had practice, Pastor Todd. Um, and um, we had one guy who was so good as a preacher, I mean so crazy good, that our preaching professor, Steve Brown, uh, said to him, look, buddy, you're going to have to work on some mistakes in the pulpit. I mean, you just can't, you can't look this good. 
I mean, figure out something to do, but I don't want to see that again. I mean, is that incredible? And, um, you know, maybe it's just that we're trying to hide the fact that we really, are, we really aren't that good. And maybe the standards we're living by, I mean, just, just start reading. Just start reading. If you want to find the road to humility, start reading. You'll find yourself in here. And um, I have to say, I, I actively resist this. I, I, I want to feel accomplished. I want to feel like I have something to boast in. Well, this, this weakness pursuit also looks really like you're going to, it does not look, it will be a way of tapping into true spiritual power. And I think this is found as the text keeps going, verse 7, 8, and 9. Let me read this for you. So to keep me from being conceited, imagine that. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, we don't know. It's driving theologians crazy. We don't know what this thorn of the flesh is. A messenger from Satan is interesting. Was it spiritual in nature? Was it physical? There's all these theories that Paul had an eye disease and that he was just unattractive to look at and hard to look at. And There's all these theories, but something has been given as part of Paul's experience. And he is, he is rightly troubled by this. Uh, he's a human being. And he prays three times, Lord, remove this. I, I've got stuff to do. Something with his, in, his life. It's not, a, it's not a flood. It's not a, a shipwreck. Something that's happening in him, within him, an oppression, a spiritual oppression. Something is affecting him daily. And he, he knows why God gave this to him. Not to bug him but to monitor his pride because he had been to heaven itself and God knew that he needed to continue to be humbled because he had been given special privileges as a called apostle. And Paul received this from God and he knew he, Paul knew he had issues with pride. And uh, I wonder why he uses a story like this for the Corinthians. Don't you know that God is hammering away at your pride and that your pride is going to go nowhere? Imagine telling people openly that I have a daily experience of feeling completely powerless. A place of desperation. Three times, verse 8, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power. See, Paul, don't mistake this experience for, for my leaving you with powerlessness. For my power is made perfect in weakness. I'm after you, Paul. 
I have not abandoned you, but I want you to experience true spiritual power. So Paul willingly receives this message. God's favor rested upon Paul and special grace was being supplied to Paul continually. God has good purposes for our difficulties and our hardships and our oppressions. But don't be surprised if God is actually seeking to develop something in you that feels like a cry of powerlessness, that he's actually behind it. You see, the truth is that God's presence in the difficulties is the greater prize than the life we imagined. God's presence in the difficulties is the greater prize than the life we imagined. And this grace is communicated in a personal way. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He ascended to, the throne, to his throne in heaven, sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And from there, he communes with his people and he communicates, my grace is sufficient for you. His grace rests upon you. It is a resurrected, risen grace It is upon you. It is in you and working when you are derived of all personal power. My grace is communicated in a beautifully personal way. So others have been given an opportunity to see weakness in you, but also to see that you are are bearing up because of God's grace. You are not explained because of your education, your experiences in life, your eloquence, your personality, your charm, your power. You are not explained by those things. You give people a wonderful opportunity to understand that your life, my life, is explained only because of the grace of God. And to get there, you can't look good. Through grace pursued, we tap into real spiritual power. And then thirdly, through grace, weakness pursued, we, are, we gladly withstand great difficulties. Because now Paul's coming to a conclusion. So where, where does this all go? What, what, what do you mean by all this, Paul? Well, here it is, verse 10. Uh, let me finish verse 9. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. There's that risen Christ resting upon upon Paul. And now verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. What a beautiful word. With weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Corinthians, I'm still here. With all your criticisms of me, I'm still coming after you. So here is the true spiritual power at work. 
uh, he is, Paul is now expressing that he's come out of that place of powerlessness, unafraid to live in that place of power, powerlessness, and it's moving toward people who he needs to love. It's giving him power to love. It's giving him power to be content. It's giving him power to not think that much of himself and be okay. I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. From the interpersonal relationship world to the world of floods and, and chaotic things, earthquakes, calamities, from, from the, the small interchanges between people and the big events that happen in nature, I am I'm moving and I am okay and I am content and life is unfolding and I am coming after you and I am content. What's really happened here is that he has let go of something. He's let go of the what-if life. What if the Corinthians don't love me? What if I don't travel safely on this ship? What if there's an earthquake? What if my plans don't go well? The what-if life. God is calling us to transition out of that what-if life. And, and as we do it, and it's daily, it's daily, it's daily. As we do it, the power of God rests upon us and the peace of God rests upon us. And I recognize I'm preaching today beyond my experience. And that's kind of sort of regularly happening up here on the pulpit. But this in particular, I'm interested. Huh, interesting. The what-if life let it go. Wake up tomorrow morning and say, all right, write down six things. You, you would fill in the blank. What if? What if my kids don't get into the college I want them to do? What if? What if? And let it go. Jesus, the Son of God, did not live in this what if world, this anxious world. What if my heavenly father's not really in charge? Nope. He entered human existence, completely convinced, trusting in his heavenly father's ability to control all things, even insults, even revilings, even beatings. And he didn't have to take these things in his hand and revile back true Spiritual power was embodied in this world and walked among us. And that same spiritual power is being talked about right here in this passage. And Paul, who is a slow learner, is saying, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. The same power that Jesus had to not draw attention to himself. the son of glory dwelling among us without the need to tell people all about it. Talk to me about that. To willingly be misunderstood by fools and to be okay with it and to trust his heavenly father throughout each moment 
we are recovering from this desperate grasp of what if life, what if living, we're recovering from it, I'm with you in the struggle. And the key to all of this, I think, is where does God really meet with us? Where does he meet with me? Because I want him to meet with me in that moment of powerlessness, and he is there with me, but what does he communicate to me? Here's where I meet with you. I meet with you with my son at the cross, the highest expression of weakness ever. And I will find you there, and I will dwell with you there, and I will commune with you there, and I will be your God, and you can find me. But I will meet you there. I will not meet you in the life you've always wanted. Because that is often fueled by pride. And God is resisting, James tells us, the epistle of James tells us God is actively resisting the prideful. But he will meet with us. He will tell us of his grace and he will, you can find him at the cross. And what's remarkable about the cross is that it is a place of great powerlessness, but we don't see it that way always and we shouldn't because it's a place of power. It's a place where Satan is destroyed. It's a place where sin is destroyed. It's where, where our fear of hell is destroyed. It's a place of great power. It's a, it's a place of love. Is that great? And it's the place from which we can frame our life and say how silly it is for me to pursue the what-if life. I should be thinking, what if God never came? What if I, don't, what if I, I live without a cross? What if I have no sign of God's abiding love with me? So in light of the cross, what is a well-managed life? Oh, I don't know. I guess if you chose, if you say, hey, Pastor Todd, would you like a well-managed life or a disorganized life? All right, I'll take the well-managed life. But it's believing in a well-managed life. It's living for a well-managed life. You see, <laughs> what's so beautiful and remarkable about the, our Bibles is the book of Acts is, starts off, the church starts off with extraordinary powerlessness. But then power comes. The Holy Spirit comes with power in Acts chapter 2. And these, this ragtag group of people who have, have no ability to make anything happen, to convince no one. And they're under the threat of Rome. And people are killed on crosses all the time. And it seems like Rome is in charge. And the Holy Spirit falls upon the church. And Peter preaches. And power, power comes over that first group that heard him preach. And the church was equipped, not with well-managed programs, not with incredible buildings, not with, not, no, not with incredible people. The church was empowered by the Holy Spirit working through broken vessels. So I have so many things to, to, to say, and I'll wrap this up. I'm going to skip some ideas. And Does the cry of your heart sound like this passage? Does it, does it, are you, 
do you find yourself here? And maybe you find yourself, I'm just, yeah, I'm frustrated. I, I, I think I'm agreeing that I am fighting. I'm fighting bitterness. Something is not right in my life. And I have to, I think, I, I just got to give it over to God. I've been fighting that what-if life, and I've I got to give it over. I've got to yield. I've got to, I've got to receive this powerlessness and be okay. Because this power that we're talking about today really does something. It will bring you peace. It will bring you peace. It will not bring you a sense of abandonment. It will reduce your sense of being frightened. Let it go. Let it go, and here's what will happen. And here's what Paul wanted for the Corinthians. The Corinthians were enslaved to all their wants, to all the demands that they thought should be in a leader of the church. They were enslaved to it. How the, the way they wanted life to go, people to be, speakers in church to be, they wanted it and they were enslaved. And to let it go is to be free. And to be free to love. If I'm always concerned about a well-managed life, if I'm always concerned about the what-ifs, I will not be free to love. I will always be self-referential. And when I enter a room, when I plant a church, when I travel, when I do my work, when I raise my family, interact with my spouse, it's always a fearful way of living. In being free, we can love. For the self, the frightened, anxious self, I have one of these. The frightened, anxious self can rest in the grace of God that is sufficient. May we as a church pursue this, pursue this weakness, be unafraid of the cry of powerlessness. Uh, Join me, pray for me, that I would not be ashamed to pursue this. That true spiritual power would be mine and it would be yours. Let's pray.